When it comes to a psalm of thanksgiving, there are a lot to choose from. Uh, There are psalms of thanksgiving for the nation of Israel that they would sing as, uh, as a group and sing in worship. And there are individual psalms of thanksgiving, and this is one of them. This is a psalm from David, um, and it has kind of, a, as we'll see, a dual purpose in what David is, is writing. There are two distinct uh, issues here, uh, but both are issues of thanksgiving. So if you're able, would you stand while uh, I read the Word of God? Heavenly Father, come upon us this morning that in reading your word, we might understand it, that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, Lord, and open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds, that we might see what you call us to to be, and that is thankful, and that we might understand how we would go about this in every aspect of our lives. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. So Psalm 30. A psalm, a song at the dedication of the house, which would have been the uh, uh, house of the Lord, the, the temple. And it is a psalm of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to thee for help, and thou didst heal me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from Sheol. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was dismayed. To thee, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise thee? Will it declare thy faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. This is God's inspired word for us this morning. So please be seated. Too much, too soon, too often. This was how uh, Chuck Colson, if you remember Chuck Colson, he worked in the Nixon White House Uh, was found guilty, went to prison. While in prison, he became a believer, and when he came out, he founded Prison Fellowship. Well, too much, too soon, too often is how he summed up in the mid to late 80s how he saw teenagers and young adults living, that they had had too much in their life, they had had it too soon, and they had had it too often. Uh, all the cool things in life that, that many of us didn't experience till later in life, they were experiencing it in their teens, and that was in the, the 80s. Now, in, on my trip to Turkey, there was a, a young guy there who was, um, worked for the travel company, and he had just previously led a group of college students to Israel. Now, uh, just think of this. You're, you had this chance to go to Israel 
to the place where Christ walked and the place where we read so many of these things happen and you get to see these, these, these structures and the places and, and it really comes alive when you go there. It really, really does. And he said the problem was we would go out and we'd go see these things. We'd come back to the hotel and at night all they wanted to do was go and get on Facebook and go and Skype with their friends or check their emails. I said they didn't want to go back out into Jerusalem or into Galilee and walk and experience more. I said, no, they were really kind of, and he described it like, oh, been there, done that. I was like, oh, man, how can, you just can't get enough of it when you're over there because there is so much. But it was kind of the illustration. They had either seen it vicariously, electronically, or they had been out in places and, 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 and growing up. So these things, being in Jerusalem where Jesus walked, apparently was no big deal to them. Okay, So too much, too soon, too often. They had kind of forgotten what thankfulness was like. They had forgotten how to live in that moment and to see the things and praise God for them. Well, what does it take for us to be thankful? I'm not talking about, um, oh, you gave me $20. Thanks very much. I appreciate that. I'm talking about a life and an attitude and a real, um, is that all of our our countenance would be lived in, in continual and constant thankfulness. What does it take for us to do that? You know, often we forget what it is to be healthy. We just take it for granted until you wake up at 2 in the morning and you know you have the stomach flu. Because the stomach flu always comes at 2 in the morning, okay? And, and, and you think, oh, no, I'm going to die. And you, it's the longest, it's a, they call it the 24-hour. It's the longest 24 hours of your life. Okay, And you think when you're in the midst of it, when will this be over? What is it like to feel normal again? And then it passes and you feel good and you are thankful that it is gone, okay? But if you don't have times like that, you forget what it is to wake up in the morning and say, I feel great this morning. And you're, you forget to be, be thankful for the simple things like that. I mean, if all of life is gravy, gravy gets commonplace, right? Well, David, as we know, was a man after God's own heart. But that didn't mean that he was a man who didn't understand hardship as well as the blessing of the Lord. So let's go back to Psalm 30, and we see in the, in the, in, the, uh, the title here is as a song at the dedication of the house. Now, David, remember, did not build the temple. That was his son's job. He began to collect the things to build the temple, uh, the cedar and the gold and everything like that. And as you can, you can read in uh, especially the Second Samuel, the last chapters, and how he collects this massive amount of silver and gold and timbers and everything that would be needed so Solomon could build it. But David was a man of war. He was not a man of peace, so he was not about to build it. But not only did he collect the stuff and the materials, he also wrote some of the things which would be used for the dedication of the house of the Lord. And this is one of those um, psalms that he wrote for such an occasion. And throughout this psalms, there are indications that this also carries with it a secondary uh, purpose here. And that is a purpose uh, that clearly we see that David is, is going through some sickness, there is a sickness which has come upon David, which is a sickness basically unto death. He thinks he's going to die. 
but the Lord comes and heals him in the midst of this, and he, that is a, in a sense, a secondary purpose in what this psalm has to say. And so there's this great rejoicing, not only that the house of the Lord will be built, but that the Lord has come and he has healed me of this time when I thought I simply was going to die. And, and it's not just, it's not just the healing. Okay? The way that David prays and, and the way that the, 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 the language is structured here is that there is an expectation of God's acting. Okay? David did not just pray, well, you know, he is the God, and, and uh, I remember those days when there was uh, me and Goliath, and I remember those days when Saul was chasing me, and, and uh, the Lord protected me, and so I guess I should pray to the Lord. No, there was none of that. This is a, when David prayed, he prayed with an expectation that the Lord would act. Okay, and that's, that's the challenge before us, as we will see. Do we pray in a fashion that expects the Lord to act? Now, I understand that uh, we get an email, and you get an email that says, uh, well, uh, Randy's gone to the hospital with this terrible disease. And you think, oh, we've got to pray for Randy's healing. Do we pray for Randy's healing? Okay, now this is, this is a, a very difficult issue to come to grips with. Um, we, let's, let's hope we pray for Randy's healing, okay? Because we want Randy to get better, but is that what is best for Randy? We don't know that. Now, the Lord says, come and lay your petitions before me. Come right to the throne of grace and, and ask me for these things. But we are also to ask how? According to the will of God. And we ask in Jesus' name. So we have to wrestle with the issue that we are to pray in an expectation that the Lord will act. I'm praying. I know the Lord can do great things. We've seen it. The elders have come before and, and laid hands on and anointed. We've seen healing. We've seen restoration. We've seen all these things. So we're going to pray with that expectation. But we also have to pray with an expectation that the Lord knows best. And it may not be what I want. And that's always a problem. Because I think I know best. And then so I go to God and I say, God, this is what's best for so-and-so. But that may not be what's best for so-and-so. We have to realize that the Lord knows that. And so, again, we, we have this strange dichotomy. We are called to pray and to lay ourselves before the Lord and our desires, but we also pray for what the Lord wants. So it's this mix of conforming our wills to his will. But we are to pray with an expectation that the Lord will answer, okay, that the Lord will answer. And I understand that we live in a, a scientific age. You know, it's an age where um, the Lord may use common things to do uncommon works, okay? Now, we're about to come to the Lord's table in a few moments where you see common elements, but they are for uncommon purposes. But those types of things should not limit or inhibit our expression of praise and our rejoicing and our thanksgiving before the Lord for what God does in our lives. We should be able to sense God's intervention through the hand of a skilled surgeon, sense God's intervention in healing our lives 
through wise use of medication, uh, through the gift of a neighbor, through uh, the kindness of a friend. So we sense the Lord's work in those things in the same way that we would sense it if one morning we have cancer and the next morning we don't have cancer. One morning I have no means of financial support and the next morning I wake up and the lotto ticket, winning lotto ticket, is there at my door. Okay, Those are miraculous things from the Lord. But let's never mistake our praise goes to the primary cause. The primary cause of those things is the sovereign hand of God. The secondary cause might be the neighbor who brings us dinner or the neighbor who brings us the winning lotto ticket or the drug that we took. Those are secondary causes. If we believe in a sovereign God, he is sovereign over all things and is the primary cause. And it is to him that we give thanks, and it is to him and for his work that we rejoice. Okay? So, we look at verse 1. I extol thee, you have lifted me up. And then look at verse 2. O Lord, I cried to thee for help. Now, this is Charles Spurgeon. He says, I could hardly pray, but I cried. How many of us have been in that state? I didn't have anything to say. I, I couldn't even get the words out. I didn't even know what to pray to the Lord. But I cried out to you. He says, I poured out my soul as a little child pours out its desires. I cried out to my God. I knew whom to cry to. I did not cry to my friends or to any arm of the flesh. Hence the sure and satisfactory result, thou hast healed me. Now the Lord might use a secondary cause, but he is the primary cause of all things. Spurgeon says, I know it, I am sure of it. I have the evidence of spiritual health within me. Glory be to the name of our Father. And then the third issue here in verse 3, he says, Lord, thou hast brought up my soul out of Sheol. So we see the Lord has drawn me up, the Lord has healed me, you have brought me my soul out of Sheol. Okay? These are, in a sense, the, the warm-ups for thanksgiving. This is why we rejoice for the Lord. He prays with an expectation, the Lord answers. That's what the Lord does. It's what the Lord does. So secondly, we see in verse 4, we should be excited about what the Lord does and then demonstrate that excitement. Now, I understand most of us are Presbyterian. And excitement for us is different than for everybody else. Okay? We're chosen by God, and we know that. Praise God. We don't have to face hell. Because God has called us. Praise God. Okay? Now, if you go down the road, they've got their tennis shoes on, and they're jumping for joy. Okay? And there's this real excitement in their lives. I mean, I can remember singing a song. Uh, maybe some of you can remember. Get all excited. Go tell everybody that. Jesus Christ is King. Do you remember that? Anybody remember that one? Okay, good, good. Some of you. Okay? And, and we would sing that and get real excited. But now I've become more mature and settled in life. And, and the excitement's here. It just doesn't have to be here, Right? Mm, David is excited about what the Lord has done, and he expects everybody else to be excited about what the Lord has done. Okay, I want you to turn to 2 Samuel, chapter 6. Now, this is an area of individual preference. Okay, how about that? And, and what the Lord does in your life. If you're sitting there, now I, I have a friend who says, God, if God wanted us to raise our hands, he would not have given us pockets. Okay? 
A mighty fortress is our God. That's a, uh, if you're in, in, and we're singing a song or something, and, and you want to raise your hand, but you feel constrained, what's everybody going to think? Well, that's, who do you raise your hand to? Do you raise your hand to the next person or the people around you, or do you raise your hand to the Lord? Well, that's the issue. And if you feel compelled in the midst of something to raise your hand to the Lord, that, great. Don't worry about what the person next to you think. Worry about what the Lord thinks. Okay? And if in the midst of something you feel like you've got to say amen, well, I, great. And if, if I'm struggling and you've got to say help him Jesus, well, great. Okay? <laughs> uh, that, that's good. But look here in, in sec, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Verse 16, and this is the ark coming back to Jerusalem. Verse 16, then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place. Now, uh, just as a side, what was David wearing when he was doing this? Is what? Very little. That's right. Very little. It's his ephod or something like that. It's his shorts. Okay. David is dancing in his Old Testament shorts. And, and he is, does he care who sees him? Because he is dancing before the Lord. Okay. Now Michael, his wife, is up in the window. So verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in a place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Now, it, it, this is the prescribed issue of what the Lord says. This bringing the, the, the ark in and how David responds is an outgrowth of the joy that's in his heart. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed and went to their house. I mean, David, the joy of David is, is overflowing here. Uh, it's just overflowing to the point where he's, he's just giving stuff away as fast as he can because the Lord has blessed him to such a point. Verse 20, but when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. She didn't wait. She went out to meet him. Okay, How the king of Israel distinguished himself today. This is not a praise. Okay, This is sarcastic. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humbled in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken with them, I will be distinguished. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Okay? So we see that David says... He says, I just have this great joy, and I can't contain it, and I need to demonstrate it. And, and this is how he, done, he did it. He danced before the Lord. Now, was this choreographed? Uh, no, this was one of those things that you see. Uh, how shall we describe this? You have, um, 
uh, it's there's two seconds left. They throw they throw that hail mary pass in the end zone, and they catch it, and the underdog wins by one point. And what does the crowd do? Ah, they dance in exultation. Okay, uh, not before the Lord, but that way. But that's the type of dance we're talking about. He's just so excited; it just oozed and flowed right out of him. He couldn't contain himself. Okay. So David says, I'm excited about it. Everybody else should be excited about it. Go back to Psalm 30. Okay, David wants everybody to join him in praising God. Not just because God has been gracious to him in this instance, in the healing that has come, but because it is God's nature to be gracious. It is God's nature to be gracious. He realizes, he's calling the people to realize how God is, and everybody should recognize that this is the way that God acts. Spurgeon writes, The very remembrance of the past should tune our harps, even if present joys be lacking. He says, So you have nothing, no great event today. Don't you remember what the Lord has done to you before? All the great joys that you have experienced in the Lord's presence before? The very remembrance of the past should tune our harps, even if present joys be lacking. Holy, holy, holy is the song of the seraphim and the cherubim. Let us join it, not dolefully as though we tremble at at the holiness of God, but cheerfully as humbly rejoicing in it. What has the Lord done in your life? If you're a believer, he's done the greatest miracle in your life you could ever imagine. He's taken you, you're on your way to eternal punishment that was due you for your sin, and he's grabbed you and said, no, you're mine. And you're going to come with me, and I'm going to bless you in an incredible fashion. Okay, you're you're now my son. I give you all the rights that, that my son Jesus Christ had. You have the name. You have the inheritance. You have all these things. Now come and spend eternity with me when you deserve that. If that has happened in your life, then then. You've got everything to be thankful for. You ought to be rejoicing. You ought to be dancing. Now you say, well, Rand, you're not dancing. Somebody's got to preach. You can dance. I have to preach, okay? Let's keep going. Psalm 30, verse 5. This is number 3. God is gracious whether we face hard times or good times. God is gracious whether we face hard times or good times. Now, if I bring a glass out here that's this tall and has this much water in it, what is it? Half full? Oh, you're good. I like that. Okay, Not half empty, but it's half full. Now, some people will look at it and go, oh, no, there's not much water in it. It's, not, it's more empty than it's full or things like that. A lot depends on how you are and how you look at things. If you look at things, the glass is half empty, uh, then you may not always be rejoicing about the things that the Lord does. Okay? You may, uh, uh, you, you, you are thinking about moving, and you get on the internet and you look at the weather of that particular city, and it says cloud cover 50% of the time. What do you think? You think, oh, well, that's sunny. Half the time, and cloudy half the time. Where do you go, oh, that's cloudy half the time, weather's bad. Okay? Well, or if you look at Pittsburgh, and it says cloudy 80% of the time. Okay? Or, or uh, what is it, Spokane or whatever, 100% of the time there's rain up there. Uh, but, but, you know, it, you pick a rose up, 
you know, you, let's say you get the flowers that day and, and you've got roses in and you grab one to smell it and, and a thorn pricks your finger. Are you more likely to remember the prick of the finger or the sweetness of the rose that you smelled? Okay. Spurgeon says, do you remember the prick of the thorn or the smell of the rose? Men have long memories for their pains as compared with their remembrance of their joys. They who will can surround themselves with persistent gladness, and they who will can gather about them the thick folds of an ever-brooding and enveloping sorrow. What kind of clothes do you put on? Basically, Spurgeon is saying, do you put on the clothes of joy, or do you encompass yourself with sorrow? Do you encompass yourself with brooding? Uh, Life just is not a good place to be. Look at verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now, if we just pluck this verse out, we might mistakenly interpret it as every cloud has a silver lining, or into every life a little rain must fall, or you've got to take the rough with the smooth, baby. You know, we might do it like that, but that's not what David is communicating in the context of all this. David is acknowledging to us that there are goods and there are bads in life. We can't get away from that. There is God's favor, and there is also God's disfavor. But his conviction here, David's conviction, is that God's favor outweighs his disfavor in the lives of those who belong to him. We know in the book of Hebrews it says, If a father loves his son, what does he do to his son? He disciplines him. Okay? What's the purpose of discipline? Shaping, molding, adjusting. Here you have your child who takes the knife and heads for the outlet. Okay, your four-year-old. And has always wanted to stick that knife in the wall socket. Well, what do you do? Well, you say, no, that's bad, and you take it away. Well, as soon as you put it down and turn your back, he goes and gets it again. And he heads off for the socket. What do you do? Well, this time you may raise the temperature of his posterior to help remind him not to do that. Why? Because you discipline them because there's danger in those types of activities. Discipline is a statement of love. Okay? You did something wrong. I'm going to discipline you. You're grounded because you were out past curfew. But those corrections and disciplines are for a short time are for a short time. The love of the Father lasts for a lifetime. Go back to 2 Samuel once again, chapter 24. David has done something bad. He's taken a census. Always a bad thing when you're the king because you're supposed to rely upon the Lord. A census was there for taxation or to count your number of soldiers. David wants to know how many soldiers he has. Ah, That's bad. This is towards the end of David's life. So the Lord comes upon him and says, now you're in trouble. There's going to be discipline because you've done something inappropriate. Now, in the larger context, the Lord is also disciplining the nation of Israel at the same time for something else. But we'll focus just on David here. David has three options. Verse 13 of chapter 24. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your lands? 
Or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence in your land? Now consider and see what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Three options for punishment. Did your parents ever send you and say, okay, I want you to go into your room and figure out how I should punish you? This is what God does to David. He gives him three options. David says, I will put myself and Israel in the hands of the Lord. Not in the hands of the enemy, not in the hands of pestilence or famine, but into the hands of the Lord. Okay. The plague did fall upon Israel. 70,000 were killed because of David's sin here. But the Lord did stay his hand. And David goes to a place to rejoice, and he goes to the threshing floor of Arnah, the eventual location of the temple. Okay? Now, please don't think that I or David, in these contexts, am minimizing suffering. That, oh, I should be in suffering, and I just simply should rejoice. No, that's not what I'm saying. Or I don't want you to think that we're spiritualizing this in any fashion. We suffer. And we suffer to such an extent that I cannot imagine how some of us get through it. Okay? There just are difficult times. But look again at verse 5 in chapter 30 of Psalms. Anger, but for a moment. Favor for a lifetime. Weeping may last a night. The joy comes in the morning. This last half of Verse 5, weeping may last for the night, but the shout of joy comes in the morning. The structure here is like you have a visitor who comes to you in the night. And we'll call him Mr. Weeping. And he comes and he puts his arm around you and you weep and there is sorrow. But sometime during the night, Mr. Weeping, and you don't even are aware of this, Mr. Weeping leaves and Mr. Joy comes. And in the morning you open your eyes and you look over there and Mr. Joy has his arm around you now. That's the structure. That's the idea that we get here. Weeping comes, but weeping leaves, and joy remains. Joy remains. Let's go to number four. We'll jump to verse uh, 11 and 12 here. Don't be surprised if what looks like bad in the eyes of man is made to be good by the hands of God. Don't be surprised if what looks to be bad in the eyes of man is made good by the hand of God. Now again, the contrast. God takes away the mourning of his people. Look at verse uh, 11. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Now, think of the contrast here. There you are, mourning and crying out to the Lord, and he says the Lord has turned it into dancing. How many of us feel like jumping off our mourning bench and running around dancing like David did before the Lord? But that's what has happened. You've loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Remember, this is a psalm that comes from David who was almost dead from whatever affliction that he had, and the Lord healed him. That my soul may sing praise to thee and not be silent. Not be silent. He takes off his sackcloth, he takes off those clothes of mourning, and puts on those great clothes of joy. How, how common is it for the Lord to take something in our lives that appears to be so, so weighty and resting upon us and weighing us down and turn that into his own purpose for his own glory and cause us to have joy from it? We see this, you know, especially 
Uh, turn to Luke chapter 6. That'll be the final, final one for us. But we see this especially in the New Testament. Peter's sermon in Acts, he says basically, you crucified Christ. But what did God do in the midst of that? He brought salvation to you. Okay, he says that in Acts chapter 2. He repeats it in Acts chapter 3. The ultimate example of what looks bad in the eyes of man, God takes and he makes something great out of it, cause for rejoicing. Okay? In Christ's death that we're going to celebrate here this morning, it is a death that comes with these words written on it. It is finished. Do you remember that final words of Christ on the cross? It is finished. It's paid in full. And the results of that action continue on indefinitely. Your sin is paid in full by the work of Christ. What looks like the end had the demons rejoicing, had Satan saying, I finally got this guy and he's going to be in the ground and he's going to be mine. Yet in three days he was out. And our debt has been paid for that. So we are called to sing to God. We can't be silent. What's the song? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. And you have won. Okay, now, we've all been there. We come on Sunday morning. We get the hymn. We say, oh, I know this one. And we sing it. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Because you don't want to be too loud. Or maybe you don't think you can sing. I know some of you can't carry a tune in a bucket. But the Lord hears your heart. So we are called to sing in this great of his great Redeemer's praise. The Lord doesn't care whether you're in tune or not. Now, the person next to you might, but they'll get over it. Okay? And what if you had a thousand tongues that you could sing that again and again and again? What stops us from singing in that fashion? Luke chapter 6, verse 45. This is what causes us not to rejoice. We have this great opportunity. Chapter 6, verse 45. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. The evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Why don't I praise God? Why don't I rejoice? The answer is, your heart is not filled with him. You want to rejoice in the Lord, you've got to know him. You have to spend time with him. If he fills your heart, you will sing his praise. If he fills your heart, it will flow from you. You will be, I don't know whether you'll come in on a Sunday morning in your shorts and dance like David, but your heart will be out of control with praise. You will rejoice. It will be a, an attitude and a way of life. That's what David's psalm here calls us to. That's what Luke says. If your heart's filled with evil, you can expect evil to come out. If your heart is filled with the word of Christ and the things of God, you can expect rejoicing to come out. Let's pray. What is man that you are mindful of him, Lord? Here we are. We come with so much baggage. 
but yet you just say, come to me. We come with weaknesses, and you say, bring those too. We come with sorrows, and you say, bring them. Bring them to the cross and place them here, that we might know the joys of Christ, that we might know a rest for our weary souls, that we might be able to rejoice in what you have done, that our hearts would be so full of and focused upon the things of Christ that rejoicing would simply be a way of life for us, that we would be so convinced that you are in control, that you are the primary cause of all that comes into our lives, that we would be grateful for all that comes into our lives. Those are hard things, Lord. And it takes a long time for us to come to grips with them sometimes. Move within us today that we might start on this journey for some of us or that some of us might come to finally come to grips with it and say, yes, you are in charge of everything and I will praise you for everything because I will know your blessings and I will know the security that comes with Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.